Hello, you're listening to the Cambridge American History Seminar Podcast. Good for you. This is the third seminar of Michaelmas term. Welcome to yet another episode in our series of brief conversations with academics who come to present our weekly seminar. I'm Lewis DeFreitz, I'm a third year PhD student here, and I'm pleased to present a special episode of the podcast this week as we celebrate the book launch of one of our own members of faculty here at Cambridge, Dr. Sarah Pearsall. Dr. Pearsall is a university senior lecturer in the history of early America and the Atlantic world here at the University of Cambridge, and is also a fellow at Robinson College. Dr. Pearsall's work draws on the colonial and revolutionary periods in American history and pays particular attention to the intersections of gender, the household and sexuality with the phases of colonialism in the Atlantic world. Her first book, Atlantic Families, Lives and Letters in the Later 18th Century, was published by Oxford University Press in 2008 and explored the dislocation of families across the Atlantic in the 18th century and the contacts that they maintained through letter writing, arguing that the expanding Atlantic world helped to reshape contemporary ideals about the family as a unified, affectionate and happy unit. That book won the 2008 Women's History Network Book Prize. Since then, Dr Pearsall has published a number of articles and chapters in edited collections, including a chapter on women in the Revolutionary War in the Oxford Handbook of the American Revolution, published in 2012, and the article Having Many Wives in Two American Rebellions, The Politics of Households and a Radically Conservative, which was published in the American Historical Review in 2013 and won both the Arrow M. Gibson Award for Native American History and the Jensen Miller Award for the History of Gender and Women from the Western Historical Association. Her new book, which we're discussing today, is titled Polygamy in Early American History. It came out in August and was published by Yale University Press. The book explores the role of polygamy, that is, the practice of marrying more than one spouse, in early America, demonstrating the the eventual dominance of heterosexual monogamy as a model for relationships, marriage, and all that entailed, was far from inevitable. The book explores familiar flashpoints in early American history, including the Pueblo Revolt against the Spanish, Catholic missions in New France, New England settlements in King Philip's War, the entrenchment of African slavery in the Chesapeake, the Atlantic Enlightenment, the American Revolution, missions and settlement in the West, and the rise of Mormonism, exploring the role of these events and the attitudes they reflected and engendered in forming property relations, approaches to theology, feminism, imperialism, and a regulation of sexuality in American life. Dr. Pearsall spoke about the book to Evelyn Strope, a second-year PhD student, exploring the politics of material culture in the early American Republic on Monday afternoon. So... First off, the easy or maybe hard question, what is the book about? Um, Thanks for asking and thanks for having me here today. Uh, The book is about confrontations over plural marriage in early America, broadly conceived. It centers marriage in a range of encounters, most notably colonial ones, though also others. It considers marriage as a structuring system seeking to understand the ways that lifelong Christian monogamy figured as a point of contention in a number of early American encounters. That's really interesting. What historiographical um, interventions do you see polygamy in early American history making? Are you speaking to early American history specifically, American history more broadly, or the history of the family, Um, sort of more thinking towards your previous work, a combination, none of the above? Uh, I'm curious to know um, what you see this speaking to. 
Well, most fundamentally, I hope that the intervention lies in the centering of marriage as a way into broader beliefs and practices Mm. of colonial society, politics, and religion. I didn't write the book to argue that polygamy should be legalized. I wrote it to show (laughs) how fundamental marriage, gender, and sexuality have been to larger processes of change and continuity in ways that I think haven't always been appreciated. Marriage and the role of women and men in colonial encounters are too often seen as merely local color in the background of a heady borderlands drama. But I see these conflicts as the drama itself in ways that Mm. scholars haven't always appreciated. I hope that historians of American history, both early and later, will see these dynamics as central to broader ones about the nature of state and religious power and how individuals, women and men, have pushed back against what state and churches mandated. Marriage and its varieties connect individuals with those state and religious powers, as I've tried to demonstrate here. So I hope it will prompt historians to think harder about gender and households, and I also hope it will be of interest to those who are concerned with gender, marriage, and sexuality. Well, I mean, as as you've just clearly stated, um, one of the arguments of this book is that heterosexual monogamous marriage was not the only model for early American families. What else are you hoping that readers will take away from it? Um, Just thinking about all of the um, politics of the family and things going on, um, especially in America at the moment, but also around the world. Um, Well, I mean, first of all, I'm an early American historian, so I hope that readers will learn how rich and diverse early America was. Exactly, yeah. And how central, actually, gender and households have been across a range of American settings. Um, Women and men shaped early America profoundly, but not enough histories, I think, give attention to this fact. Um, So I hope that people who don't know much about these times and places will learn something both about the intimate dynamics and the wider political and religious significance. I also hope that each chapter will show even specialists in a particular subfield something new. Um, and I I don't know whether that's been successful, but I can <laughs> say that sort of parts of chapter one that I've published as an article in the American Historical Review, um, I've had some readers have been kind enough to tell me that um, that it has helped them understand and teach the events like the Pueblo Revolt of 1680 differently. Um, and so I'm hopeful about that. In terms of the current climate, of course, um, I hope that people are um, thinking hard about marriage and what it does and how it shapes our world and think hard in ways about binaries and couples and what's normative and what isn't. I think people already do this thinking in their (laughs) personal lives, but this is to give a kind of intellectual heft to that. Yeah. Um, You're talking about, you know, all these different settings in early America, like the Pueblo Revolt, but um, I know that the book also follows 
um, polygamy in Catholic missions in New France, New England settlements, King Philip's War, um, African slavery in the Chesapeake, the Atlantic Enlightenment, the American Revolution, um, missions and settlement, the rise of Mormonism. How, how do you structure a book that brings together all of these diverse moments in American history and in early American history? Well, uh, with difficulty. <laughs> um, there is a roughly chronological order to the book, so that helps. Uh, there are a shared set of concerns and questions animating the book as a whole. The structure of the book is a little unusual in that each chapter has its own logic and characters and in some sense can stand alone. But I hope that putting them all together, the, the sort of whole is greater than the sum of its parts, <laughs> and that seeing all of those events together makes a powerful argument for the centrality of marriage and households in shaping outcomes in early American history. That's, I mean, it's a, it's a really important um, way to look at the past, and I'm, I'm really excited to um, read this book. Um, I, I wonder how you see it in relation to your first book, Atlantic Families. How did it develop, um, whether it was from the first book or on its own as a sort of um, interesting side project? And I'm also curious to know how it complements or even challenges, I'm not quite sure, Laurel Ulrich's new work on Mormonism, because um, I know that she was your dissertation advisor in grad school. So She was, um, <laughs> and a wonderful one, too. Um, let me start with the first part about, okay, the, yeah. the, about the relationship with my first book. Um, I see the connections as both direct and indirect. In fact, it was really direct in the sense that in the course of doing research for my first book, which dealt with images of families in the 18th century as well as their dynamics, I started to notice the negative image of an anti-sentimental marriage. Mm. That was the harem, um, or harem as people here say, <laughs> ruled only by lust, greed, and fear, and never by true love, and usually associated with kind of non-anglophone um, right. non-European, non-settler people. At the same time, I was actually also teaching an undergraduate course on travel narratives, um, and I started to notice polygamy coming up a lot there, oh, too. And I started to wonder why so many people seemed to care about it in this period. And I couldn't actually find a great deal of discussion about it, but it seemed to me a good way to open up issues about marriage, power, and society. Um, and in terms of kind of thematic connections with my first book, um, both of them deal with the kind of relationships between intimate dynamics within households with kind of broader changes um, in the landscape, and both have a wide geographical canvas. Uh, the first was Anglophonic, but considered large swaths of the North Atlantic and the Caribbean. The second centers on what is now the continental U.S., but it considers a much wider range of participants, mm. various uh, Native American groups, as well as African Americans and Euro-American settlers of various stripes. Um, in terms of complementing and challenging Laurel <laughs> Ulrich's work, um, she's certainly been an inspiration to me throughout um, many years, and even now I'd have to say decades. Um, it was a great privilege and a pleasure to have her supervise my dissertation. 
Um, and it turned out that we both shared an interest in plural marriage. We didn't actually <laughs> really realize that. We both kind of developed interest in it separately. Um, but it's been really interesting to sort of think with her about this. We've been on panels together. We co-organized a workshop on plural marriage at Radcliffe a few years ago. Mm. So that's really been nice. Um, I guess that maybe my work, which mostly deals with events in the 17th and 18th century, provides a kind of prehistory to the rich account um, that Laurel has told us about. I think we do share a sense that Pearl Wives were not the passive victims they're too often presumed to have been. And I think we both find that plural marriages could contain spaces of liberation and female solidarity, even as they also could include ones of oppression and conflict. That's great. I I guess we can move to more, uh, well, uh, questions of a of a different um, nature, more about you and um, being a historian more broadly. What is a book or article you've read in the last twelve months that inspired or challenged your approach? That's such an interesting question, and of <laughs> course, hard to narrow it down. Um, also would have to say, uh, obviously finishing a book is a long process. So (laughs) in fact, I finished it really (laughs) more than a year ago. But, um, one of the items that I found most compelling, one of the books in the last year or so, um, is Susan Sleeper Smith's Indigenous Prosperity Mm -hmm. and American Conquest, Indian Women of the Ohio River Valley, 1690 to 1792. Susan really centers the work that Native women did in creating settled and prosperous communities, which then became the target of American imperial takeover in the 18th century. Partly, Susan's incredibly painstaking attention to issues around what Native women have done and shaped, even down to agricultural labors that they did in very specific and detailed ways, has been really inspirational to me. Um, Susan and I were at the Newberry Library in Chicago together many years ago, and we had a lot of generative conversations about especially Native American women's history there. Um, So it's been wonderful, actually, to see both of our books (laughs) kind of out in the world. Um, And I also was fortunate enough to participate in a great conference and subsequent book that Susan and others organized Um, called Why You Can't Teach United States History Without American Indians. Um, And partly Susan's really been helpful in in centering Native women's work and lives in ways that are really profoundly important to me. What's the most interesting place you've been for research? This is a good question. I love this question. This is a good question. Um, I went to a lot of great places. and possibly some not so great ones. Um, but one of probably the most delightful research trip was to Seville in Spain, um, where I did research on both the Pueblo Revolt and the Wally Rebellion at the AGI or kind of Archives of the Indies there. Um, it wasn't always easy to do this work. The head of the archives there initially didn't think that the documents I wanted to see for the Pueblo Revolt were even there. She claimed they were in Mexico. Um, and it took a while to convince her. I wasn't even sure I would get in. <laughs> um, but it seemed to me really important to do this work, partly because, um, as far as I could tell, none of the historians who'd worked on the Pueblo Revolt had looked at the original manuscript documents. Um, so I persevered. And I couldn't have managed it without the guidance and help of my friend Betsy Wright, 
a scholar of early modern Spanish literature mm. with whom I visited Seville. <laughs> and uh, Betsy also happens to be a terrific local guide who found us <laughs> amazing places to eat and drink. And the weather was beautiful. It was springtime. <laughs> so it was one of the most wonderful and delicious research trips on which I've ever been. Um, and I remain grateful to the British Academy, in fact, which generously gave me a research grant that helped pay for that and other trips at early stages of research. That sounds amazing. Um, fi the final and um, perhaps as Lewis would think, the pivotal question, what's your favorite album? <laughs> well, I mean, that's even worse than which book you like, you know, found most significant in the last 12 months. Um, I'd say really an impossible question to answer. But um, I thought maybe I would just point to a slightly obscure um, musical choice that I listened to a lot, especially when I was working on the sort of Spanish language portions of this project, uh, which is a Mexican electronic group called, as it happens, Kinky. Um, <laughs> and if you haven't heard of them, I recommend them um, because I think it's, it's just, it's kind of wonderful music. Um, and uh, I especially like the album Reina, so. Thank you so much for this, Sarah. I'm so looking forward to um, reading your book and being able to engage with it more. Um, thank you for speaking with us, and I can't wait to hear more of the seminar. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure to talk to you today, Evelyn, and, um, <laughs> and I look forward to further conversations. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cambridge American History Seminar Podcast with Sarah Pearsall and Evelyn Strope. Tune in next week for another interview from another presenter at our seminar. In the meantime, let your friends know about what we're doing here. Give us a rating and a review wherever you do that type of thing. Follow us on Twitter at Comericanist and get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. Cheers. <laughs>